If caring, kind people are in a loving relationship, why should anyone care about how they express themselves sexually? Who are we to say that what people feel isn't right, especially if no harm seems to be done? This is David Rhymes, and you're listening to episode 23 of Footnotable. Orrin and I believe that love and human sexuality are gifts from God, but must be understood according to His design and purpose. And that makes it Footnotable. Part 9 of the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity begins now. So here's the honest truth, Orrin. I don't have any clumsy segues into our topic today. Like, I've, I've got none. Come on, man. I don't have any stories. Come I don't have on. any anecdotes. You're slacking. I, well, I am. You're slacking. I am. Slacker. I could probably try to blame it on the fact that the girls go back to school this week. Oh, and we've been, yeah. been, you know, busy and consumed with that. But honestly, pushing that out in front of the bus is just <laughs> not even remotely. Speaking of buses. <laughs> yeah, speaking of buses. It's not not even remotely uh, a genuine argument. Well, for, our, for our listening audience, uh, Dave has been, he and his wife have been um, slightly frustrated with their school system over the last couple of weeks. That's a, that's a nice way. Yeah, I'm trying to be it. nice here of the way they've handled the school year. And and hopefully, mer- mercifully, Christians can be, um, or Christians can be merciful to some of their school systems. And, and, how, and here's the deal. How, they, how they're handling they've this. They've handled it actually quite admirably up until a point mm-hmm. when uh, folks that... You know, Greeky, uh, Greeky, Squeaky Wheel gets the grease. Yeah. And Squeaky Wheels showed up and they overpowered the voices of reason. And look, I know it's a sticky issue mm-hmm. going back to school. And I, I don't want to sound like I am insensitive to parents, teachers, kids, and things like that. Mm-hmm. You just have to have a plan the best you can yep. and execute that plan uh, in good faith. Mm-hmm. And that's where we were. Until suddenly we weren't. Yeah. So here's your segue to our topic today. Some people didn't like the plan because it wasn't a plan that they wanted. It wasn't a plan that fit their needs and their desires. And so they stirred up some stuff to get the plan changed. What are we talking about today? We're talking about people whose understanding of sexual ethics is different from what they understand from Scripture. Therefore, they want us to change what the Bible says in order to fit their narrative for what sexuality really is. Yep. Boom! I just hammered that segue, baby. Yeah, you, yeah, you could put chalk up a clumsy segue in your column, Warren. Yeah, I got me one. You got your one. Got it. We, we don't uh, do, uh, we're not professional segue artists. Nope. And every once in a while. Every once in a while. It just you know, comes together. Think of you. Uh, so we're, we're actually here to talk about a topic, not be crafty on our segues. No. But we are talking about Gully's so-called ninth commandment of, mm-hmm. Kruger, well, he feels of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Kruger. If the church were Christian. If the church were Christian, Kruger labels them the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. Mm-hmm. Number nine's a doozy. It is. And if you've been listening to this and you've been hanging through all of the commandments so far going, when are they going to get to this topic? I know it's yeah. coming. yeah. Well, here it is. Mm-hmm. Your patience has paid off. Today, we get to sit here and talk about sex. Hey. Specifically, <laughs> here's here's the way Kruger state restates Gully's position. Mm-hmm. We should care more about love and less about sex. Which is the exact title in Gully's book. All right. Well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense. 
with our conversation prior to hitting the record button um, about the way Kruger handles his response mm-hmm. uh, to this argument. Now, let me just go ahead and be clear. This is a very um, basic argument yes. when it comes to human sexuality and love. Yes. It's not going to branch out into the various other uh, lifestyles on the LGBTQ plus whatever spectrum. Yeah. So it's not going to get into necessarily in, in depth on homosexuality, transgender issues. Right. Uh, it's not going to get into any kind of depth on sex identity, right? Uh, gender, um, uh, gender. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Reassignment, reassignment, yep. gender okay. reassignment, yep. and those kind of things. Yep. This is kind of where those conversations start. Mm-hmm. And for those topics, we'll actually sit down and we'll cover those in more detail in later episodes. So in case you get to the end of this and go, well, they just skipped over all the good good stuff mm-hmm. I want to listen to. Right. It's not covered in these chapters, so we're not going to cover it. We're going to stick to what Gully's arguments are. We're going to take a look at some of Kruger's responses. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to kind of get into a discussion about these things uh, just from our perspective as 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 people in the role of pastor, dealing with people and culture, and just trying to help make sense of what is a very popular, attractive argument these days. Yep. There's a there's a discussion throughout really all facets of culture where this subject comes up in so many different ways. Sexual identity, sexual ethics, sexual values and morals and um, how individuals and groups of people understand human sexuality. Um, as you said, God doesn't go into the details. His concern in his in this chapter is more about how the church itself um, has failed to deal with. Uh, sexual issues in a what he would call a loving way um, and again as we said before he uses a lot of stories a lot of examples that he's observed or witnessed in his life to paint a very with very broad strokes the abject failure of the church um, to show love to people who just looked for love and didn't need judgment for their mm-hmm. sexual choices um, but again as we said before Gully's arguments are very broad and generalized and do, do not take into consideration what the scriptures actually teach. He uses one reference from the Bible, the story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair um, and anointed Which him. is a popular place it for is, progressives to go on is. this argument. It, but it doesn't deal with the rest of the Bible. It doesn't deal with the rest of the story. Of the story. That of the exact story, story right. Itself. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't. And, and I just find it interesting that last week in, in Gully's chapter, he... He quoted the Apostle Paul in a positive way mm-hmm. with instructional words. This week, he would deny Paul's writings about sexual ethic and, and, and uh, spiritual matters um, because it doesn't fit the modern culture and narrative. And so many of you listening to this uh, might largely agree with what Dave and I say. Maybe you don't. I, I don't know. But just understand that our approach to this is simply dealing with the, the faulty arguments that Gully is making and presenting the biblical truth that we hold to because we believe it's actually better for our persons, for our families, and for society. And Orr and I both understand that for some of you listening, this may hit pretty close to home. Yeah. And some of you have maybe struggled with how to relate to someone in your family mm-hmm. that uh, takes 
positions regarding human sexuality and love that are different, maybe from a religious perspective, maybe just from what how you grew up, mm-hmm. okay? You're not sure what to make of it. Uh, maybe you yourself are just wrestling internally and trying to make sense of how you feel with things that you've heard taught, perhaps in church. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're even someone that has unfortunately been in a situation within a church where you were treated unkind and maybe even subhuman mm-hmm. for things that you are dealing with uh, and trying to, to live out in your life. And so we want to be sensitive to that. But at the end of the day, like Warren said, our job is to land on a position that we believe is firm and trustworthy mm-hmm. And that position is going to be what God has revealed in his word concerning love and human sexuality. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and I think that's the key. Gully wants to focus on the love part of this and saying that we make a bigger deal about, about sexual norms and mores that the church has ascribed to in order to oppress and control mm-hmm. people. And in some cases, the church has done that. We have failed in some ways of not talking honestly about homosexuality. The, the, the problem is Gully never goes back to what's the best way, according to the Word of God, that we handle this in a balanced, healthy way. What's best? What he says is that we need to love people better in their situations. Well, that, while that may be true, that doesn't solve the sin issue, which never comes up in the chapter. He never talks about sexual sin other than in a negative light. Right. But sexual sin is a real thing. We have to deal with it. And the only way we can deal with it is by going to the text, the biblical text, to help us understand what God says is sexual sin. And then we deal with it under the grace and mercy of Christ. That's how we handle things as Christians. Gully circumvents that process and simply says there are hurting people in the world who have not been loved by churches, so we need to love them better so that they come back or that they come to the church and feel like they're part of us. He never deals with what what got them to that point to begin with and how the church can deal with it in a, in a, in a healthy, faithful way. So why, this is explore for a second, why is complete sexual freedom mm-hmm. such an attractive argument mm-hmm. or lifestyle in our culture today? So I talk about this a lot, and I talked about this actually this past Sunday. We as human beings in our nature love to be lords of our own lives. We we would rather rule our lives sovereignly than have God or anyone else rule over us. That's our nature. What, what Jesus does is he teaches us the freedom in surrender to God's rule in our lives. But because we're at nature, lords to ourselves, we don't want anybody telling us what we can or cannot do, what we must or must not do. Well, when it comes to sex, which is such a personal and intimate and pleasurable experience for persons, we don't want anyone, God included, telling us who we can or cannot have sex with, who we can or cannot love, who we can or cannot be involved with. And so we love the idea that this complete sexual autonomy and freedom gives us the kind of control and and ownership of our lives that we want to wrestle away from God. The problem is that when we do that, we are outside of God's good design for human flourishing. And we're rebelling against God. We're jumping over the fence, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and running out into the wilderness to do whatever we want. And there's never a time where that actually works. No amount of love is going to, for human love to another person, is going to be enough to rein that in. It's always going to push against it. Because human love is in no way, shape, or form as deep or as as potent Mm -hmm. as God's love. And when we resist God's love, 
we're going to resist the love of human beings unless it fits the lies that we want because we want to control our own selves. And so of all the things in our society, maybe this has always been the case. I haven't been alive very long, but for as long as I can tell, human beings have really resisted any kind of instruction on, on, on sexuality and sexual expression because they don't want to be told what they can or cannot do with their bodies, with their lives. And that has some very unhealthy consequences to it. Yeah, as Americans, we tend to think of this in terms of a brief period, maybe since like the 60s mm-hmm. with the sexual sure. revolution and on to the 70s. But that is just a more recent right. expression of this idea of sexual freedom mm-hmm. throughout human history. Mm-hmm. In all cultures, this has been something that is ongoing. Now, sure, it has certain expressions that pop up. They get a lot of attention, mm-hmm. you know, such as what was going on in the late 60s, early 70s. And, of course, you fast forward to today with what we see uh, with the uh, inclusion of gay marriage, uh, with uh, new so-called norms, with uh, transgender people mm-hmm. and just all the things that come with that. This is not new. This did not creep into society in the past 30 to 40 years. This has been going on ever since, well, we introduced sin to the world. Mm -hmm. This is a manifestation of that sin. And so if you study cultures, you study people, you look at history, you'll find that this is a topic that people have wrestle with, Mm -hmm. even just from a purely social cultural standpoint, as that culture has defined their norms and their values. And then when you bring in uh, Christianity, Mm -hmm. bring in uh, uh, Judaism Mm pre-Christ, as you look through the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament and through the history of the first church, uh, first century church and beyond, Well, then you'd have that perspective brought to bear on it, God's perspective on these. And it's it's a lot more laser focused and more specific than just people trying to argue from what they feel as a culture should be proper and good for uh, for their people. Mm -hmm. So this isn't a new argument. We're not treading new water here. We're just treading through the same waters that just look a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... As we talk about this, you can apply these infinitely back throughout history and yep. throughout culture. So this is not a modern response to a modern problem right. where we've somehow taken a look at what the Bible says and go, well, let's just sort of fit that into our current situation. Hmm. You could pick this up, and it holds true across time and culture. Yep. And so that's something we want to be careful about. As we just have this conversation, because we don't ever want to make it look as if we're prescribing to people some view of Scripture that doesn't fit tomorrow or 30, 50, 100 years from now, Mm -hmm. because we've kind of zoned in so much on one aspect and we've taken away what we want and we've left the rest. And so we're sort of having a knee-jerk reaction to this. And once the dust all clears, well, then we'll kind of get to figure it out. out. So that's that's what we're definitely trying to avoid. I think, you know, based on 
the long history of biblical scholarship that we're standing on very firm ground I agree. as we make these these yeah. arguments and as we begin to take an honest look at Gully's statements, mm-hmm. which are typical. Yep. I mean, it's a script. You could have written the chapter yourself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if you have yeah. paid any attention to these the, the sexual revolution, uh, the various agendas of these different groups in our society, they do have a playbook. Yep. And Gully's argument is verbatim from that playbook. I agree. And so let me ask you this. So we'll, we'll get to this this conversation. I want to tell a story that Gully tells in tell the book. Tell a story. But I want to ask you a question first. And I'll just leave it open-ended for now. You don't have to answer. Just just, just think about it. Is the problem with with understanding sex in the church, sexual ethic, values, thing, things like that, by the church members, by Christians, is the problem really sex? Or in Gully's argument, is it our understanding of what love is? Okay, so let me let me paint a picture for you. He was working in a church at a time. He was a pastor in a, in, a, in a Quaker church where there was a man named Tom and Maggie who were in their 80s, and they were living together. And one of the elders of the church came to Gully and, and told him what was happening. That He said, they're living in sin. Someone needs to go talk to them about it. So the Gully, being the pastor, went and visited with them. And uh, they... They talked over the issue. Tom and Maggie were very sweet, welcomed him in, gave him the nice chair to sit in. They began to talk. And so Gully expresses the concern that they have that they're living together and not married. And he asked them why they hadn't been married. He even offered to marry them so they could make it official. And this is what Tom said. Tom said, we can't afford to. We lose too much Social Security. It's all we have. And he was embarrassed by that, as was Maggie. And... Gully says he felt ashamed for even bringing it up now because he was humiliating them. Maggie said, we know we shouldn't be living like this, but a person just gets lonely. And Gully says, I thought for a moment, then I said, you know, friends, I think God has bigger things to worry about. Let's just be grateful you have each other. Now, Maggie admits in this conversation, we know we should not be living like this. We Meaning she's speaking for her live-in friend who would, would yeah. have been her husband. And this was both, both of their spouses had died. Mm-hmm. These were, these were, they had only been married to one person before. And she admits, but, but Gully says, you know, you have each other. God has bigger things to worry about than, than you living together. Let's just move on from this. It's not a big deal. He got kind of uh, some pushback from church members and the elders in the church because they were overly concerned about them, these two people living in sexual sin, right? And, and, and so here's, here's, here's the, the, the challenge Gully lays before us is this isn't about sex. This is about love and loving people is the key. Sex is a secondary issue. But they're tied together because sex is, 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 is an expression of intimacy, should be an expression of genuine love for another person. And if Maggie and Tom are living together and involved, even as 80-year-olds, involved in a relationship and they're not married... Maggie admits they shouldn't be. They're living in sin. Gully never addresses that reality. He simply says, well, you obviously love each other, so just keep things the way they are because love's more important, right? So what's really the issue? Is it sex, really, or is it our understanding of what love is? Because I get the sense that as much as Gully talks about love in this chapter, he doesn't ever really define it from a biblical godly perspective although he ex- he expects us to have that understanding as we read the chapter this is what jesus would have done he would have told tom and maggie 
you guys can remain as you are. You obviously love each other, and that's all I really care about. Ignoring the rest of Scripture and the clear instructions that sexual union between a man and a woman only is to be done is to be had in a marriage relationship. Tom and Maggie knew that, and Gully told them, "Don't worry about it." So he failed them, even though they understood that they were doing something they probably shouldn't be doing. And so this is what's disheartening to me is that we propagate this idea of it's just about love. But who defines what love is? So what would you say if someone asked you to define love in this particular context when it comes to understanding who is the source of love, what love is, and how it's expressed in a sexual relationship? Well, there's a lot of layers that go into this. And I think that's what makes these situations so so difficult and why oftentimes people that want to uphold a biblical standards kind of shrink back from it mm-hmm. because they realize that biblical definitions for love, sex, marriage, all of that suddenly become very offensive. They sound unloving in they the ears sound of the world. Unloving. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many places, it's really kind of hard to know where do you start at kind of dissecting that thing? Sure. Because love is a real emotion. Yeah. So do they feel love between one another? Who am I to say yeah. they don't? Yeah. Okay. Is it genuine? Could very well be. Sure. Okay. So does marriage create love? No, it does no. not. And so we need to be real careful about definitions mm-hmm. being too restrictive. Right. When they're just not. I mean, God doesn't even restrict those definitions right. to that extent. Right. And so, okay, so you do have two people that love each other. Well, then what is the issue? Right. you got to go back even further. Mm-hmm. And so this is where you just sort of go down the layers. So love is kind of like that, one of those top layers. Yeah. And so you have to kind of keep going back and back and back. And what are all these things built off of? Mm-hmm. So if two people love each other, genuinely love each other, then there are certain questions you have to ask about that. And they all stem from what the Bible teaches. Yes. Okay. Number one, so between a man and a woman. Okay. Because the next question is largely influenced by the first question. Is the intent to be brought together in union through marriage mm-hmm. in the eyes of God, which is a whole other subject. Sure. The marriage, in the eyes day, of, yeah. marriage in the eyes of God, marriage in the eyes of the state. Yes. Okay. They're talking about marriage in the eyes of, of God here because the Bible clearly puts parameters on who is to be married. Yes. Okay. And so the love may be there and it may be very real, mm-hmm. but what's the intention? Mm-hmm. And, if the intention is to be married, well, then there are some very clear steps to take to get married. Yes. And it's not hard. No. It's, it's, it's not, not complicated. It's right. not complicated right. to right. get married. Right. If it's not to get married, well, then that sets parameters for that relationship as well, yeah. meaning that there are boundaries that are not to be crossed mm-hmm. anymore. So you're not to be uh, having sex outside of that marriage union. Right. Which means you don't need to be living together. Why? Because living together, number one, gives the appearance of marriage. Yes. And if you are not married, married, then you are giving a false image of what marriage is. Well, why does that matter? Well, who cares? 
what is marriage? Yes. Okay. You see, you see the well, layers yeah, here. So this is going. a deep, complex yeah, thing. Absolutely. But it's important. Marriage is something that God instituted that reflects His image. Yes. His nature, His character, which is which is triune, which is in community. Mm-hmm. And so, if we again, there's no great way to sort of put the Trinity into human words right other than just to speak as clearly about, the, about it as the bible allows us but you know god is father son and spirit marriage is husband wife and they produce an offspring mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. and so you have the three that form the family sure okay and so that unity in the godhead is reflected in the unity of marriage mm-hmm. which is then shared in the unity within the family yes and so for someone to be living together not married it completely distorts the intended witness marriage is to be to the nations about who God is. Yes. So okay, there's so, a big thing at stake yeah, here. It's I, not just about we just want to be together. Right. Exactly. It's the not just about nature, whether or not you're The very nature marriage. and character yes. of God being proclaimed to the nations mm-hmm. is ultimately where this boils down. Yes. So. With that said, I agree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here just for the next question. Because I'm going to read a quote here from Kruger, which you put in the notes. Yeah. What if I told you that everything, all that stuff you just said doesn't really matter? What matters is if two people love each other. And that's all that matters. If they love each other, why is it any of your business? And shouldn't you even stop to consider that maybe you're wrong about some of these things and you need to reassess your perspective on marriage and love? And come over to the side of being more loving and less restrictive when it comes to your understanding of marriage and things like that. What does Kruger say? If wonderful people engage in a behavior that I think is wrong, he's being a little sarcastic here, then maybe I ought to rethink whether that behavior is really wrong after all. So what defines the behavior is not the behavior itself, Mm -hmm. but the people performing or engaged in that behavior. So if two people who are wonderful, kind, generous people choose to live together, shouldn't we judge that relationship based on them and not on some outside source of truth or or instruction? As Christians, this becomes very frustrating because then we're taking every situation circumstantially. Right. And there's no guiding truth in any relationship. And it's, it's a tricky argument because it sounds compelling. Oh, it does. Yeah. It sounds very compelling. Why? Mm-hmm. Because love is the ultimate moral oh, trump card. Absolutely. If you're unloving, then... You're anathema. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why, you're why, out of here. Yeah, you don't get to, to join the discussion here right. if you're unloving. So for two people to say they love each other mm-hmm. and for that those two people to be criticized of that love... Well, it just seems so obvious yeah. who's in the right here, mm-hmm. the people who love, because the people who are criticizing that love are unloving. Who wins? Love, unloving, love every time. That's a actually a very shallow argument because you're you're ignoring everything else yeah. that we're to consider. Mm-hmm. And so what progressive Christianity has to do as it does with pretty much every other tenant they hold, is completely divorce themselves from any foundation of truth. Yes, yes. If you can do that, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. If the character of God is is not at stake, if 
things that we believe about God, that the Bible teaches, aren't really true, that they're just the uh, ancient, antiquated imaginations of, you know, Bronze Age Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. well, then do what you want to do. Why does it matter? It doesn't matter at all. And so it all comes back, as we said before, at the very beginning, as we were even in the intro to this, what do you believe about the Bible? Yeah, exactly. That, what, that's been the guiding force. What do force? you believe? Yes. What is the Bible? Yes. And what does the Bible contain? Does, has God said something in his word to us, to all people, that guides us to our understanding of what love is and then what a marriage relationship is? Is marriage restricted in some way according to the scriptures? The question is, I mean, the answer is yes. It is restricted. God restricts it between a man and a woman. And it's expected that there is love in that relationship. And he restricts it to one man and one woman. One woman only, yeah, yeah. exactly. Not man and women. It's yeah. man and woman. One man, one woman. And everything is outside of that, whether it's hetero or homosexual in nature, is is outside of God's design, God's plan. Therefore, it is sin. And when we start talking about sin, everybody starts getting uncomfortable. They get ants in their pants all of a sudden because you can't challenge me on my understanding of love. Right. Yet when your expression because, of love... Because people feel it. Yeah, exactly. That's a real yeah, feeling. Yeah. When your expression of love is leading to sin, well, God has something to say about that. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you that I want to share that with you. And and again, to, to give God some credit, he offered to marry the couple, right? Right. But then he, he sort of acquiesced to their desires because he saw them as two people who just love each other. And it's so easy, as you said before, to just kind of ease into that idea and just be part of the sort of the the, the cultural um, immorality. It's, a, it's kind of a soft immorality. You just kind of, right. like a, a warm jacuzzi, you just kind of get in yeah. and you just soak so with everybody first, else. At first it seems a little bit hot. Yeah, but after a while you get used you're to used it. To it'll be good. And everybody's having a and good everybody's time. Happy. Yeah. Everybody's happy, yeah. And why stand outside the pool and tell everybody that they're you know they're boiling to death? You know, like, right. like you can't do that. And that's what makes this argument so frustrating for people is because there is this divorce from mm-hmm. a standard of truth and authority. Yes. And so... You're trying to make an argument with someone who is never going to come around. I say never, but has sort of made up their mind. Apart from the work of the Spirit. Apart from the work of the Spirit. They've made up their mind that there is no foundational truth Mm -hmm. that applies to them. And it just seems so just you want to pull your hair out. Well, anything you you say is what you're saying. It's what you're saying. It's not God. It's you. Right. It's just you. Right. And you're putting that, you're putting what seems like a cold truth Mm -hmm. against a very real, wonderful feeling of love. Mm -hmm. And again, who wins in that argument? Love, love seems to win always because that's that's just sort of how our fallen minds work. Mm -hmm. And so that's why friends, that's why parents who are trying to deal and potentially correct people's behavior, find themselves eventually just sort of acquiescing to it. Why? Because they're tired of being made the villain. Mm -hmm. They're tired of being labeled unloving. So therefore, I must be faulty in my thinking. I need to find a new foundation of truth. And that foundation is to just not have one. Mm -hmm. And... The truth then lies within the love that those two people share. Yeah. 
that's what's true. Right. So that's what I have to allow and embrace. And that's wonderful. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. After all, these people exhibit some of the same qualities as I and my spouse mm-hmm. uh, have. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're married. Mm-hmm. We love each other. Their lives don't look any different. Their relationship resembles ours. What's so the what's the difference? Yeah, exactly. And, and that ignores the, the sacredness and sanctity of marriage itself as a beautiful design by God for human relationships, for flourishing, for the building of a family. God put it together in a certain way to function a certain way. Now, do we abuse that? Do we mis- absolutely? Yeah. There, there are too many examples to list of marriages that have gone afoul because people are are sinners and they act terrible ways toward one another. Uh, but it doesn't change the reality of what marriage is supposed to be. The answer is not to toss it out and adopt a new form of of, of sexual intimacy between persons as sort of this new morality that we embrace because it's more loving. No, we, we, we recovered the biblical definition and do better at that because we never got good at that to begin with. Why would we move on to something else? We're going to mess that up too, right? And, and so, I mean, Gully even uses that, that old quote about how Christian divorces are as high as the secular divorces, which has ultimately never been proven. But even if that's true, does that change what marriage is to begin with? Yeah. Or is it just a bunch of bad examples of sinners yeah. who are not dealing with it in a godly way? I don't believe the answer is tossing marriage aside or, or making marriage sort of an equal to all the other options out there and go, well, that's one thing you could do or you could live together or two men can live together or three women could all live together and all have sexual relationships. And that, that's essentially all the same. Yeah, you know? And just and of course, no. today, the fact that you see fewer and fewer young people getting, getting married. Getting married, yeah. And so this, this has significant implications today mm-hmm. as we look at culture and the fact that even in heterosexual terms, you've got a man and a woman going, you know what, we don't need all the burden of marriage. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, governments saddle marriage with a lot of baggage Mm -hmm. that I think feel is just very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And some of that plays into the the, the discussion. And it it seems to be the most rational thing to do. You you go back to your story, it was a a social security. Yeah. Their livelihood was going to be affected. Yeah. 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 And so here's the thing about that, and even some of the arguments today against, well, not necessarily against marriage, but uh, saying marriage just really isn't all that necessary for for a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Just because there is a broken system Mm -hmm. that is going to do you some sort of harm, Mm -hmm. it doesn't negate what God has said. Exactly. Okay? If, If... if I owe rent every month and one day, right before my rent is due, someone breaks into my house, steals all my money, I call my landlord and I'm like, my money was stolen. Mm-hmm. Well, the landlord could say, you know what, I can give you a little bit of grace, but you still owe me. Yeah, if you live here, yeah. You, you still owe me rent. I can give you a few more weeks, but you still owe me this rent. Just because somebody did a bad thing mm-hmm. doesn't change my obligation. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Like I know there are broken systems in this world. We as sinful people, we create them. Yeah. And they have a negative impact on people's lives, but we can't let those things be an excuse for us right. to not hold fast to what 
God has taught in his word and concerning these things. We create new systems to replace the old system that we didn't like, and we break those <laughs> we new break ones those too. too. We make them even worse. Yeah. And so we're, it's, we're like we're, we're like a, a tamp- tantering toddler. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. we just bust up everything. We, we have better ideas. On. So yeah. well, let's, let's, let's talk about briefly, and I think and because you and I are the same age, we grew up in the same period of time in the, the what we call the Baptist church. Um, do you believe the church has had a preoccupation with sexual sin over some uh, dispense of maybe other sins. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, that's without all I heard growing doubt. up. Yeah. Sex is icky, bad, yeah. um, until you get married. It's like all of a sudden, yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the thing is, that never connects well in the young person's brain. Never. Because you condition them from their kind of very small to just understand about sex, mm-hmm. and it's just bad. It's mm-hmm. bad Bad, 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 bad. No, no, bad, no, bad, no, bad, no, bad. no, 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 no. And then one day, yes. Yeah, you can do this now. You're just yeah. like, people are like, ah, yeah. no, yeah. I don't You know, it's a big conflict mm-hmm. that's going on. And I think it's unfortunate in so many ways because I think one thing that was done was we created a Christian culture that set out a false standard. Yep. For Christian marriage. Yep. Look, marriage is messy even when Christ is the center of it. Absolutely. Because it's played out in this fallen world among between two fallen people. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be perfect. And I think we kind of created this culture where we we were enticing people to chase windmills. Yeah. Like, like Don Quixote. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's like, yeah. look, that's not real marriage. Right. You you can put on a sweater vest and you and your wife can you know cheesily walk around hand in hand smiling and everything's so good and mm-hmm. everybody kids are great and marriage is wonderful and just nim, 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 and we just love each other so much. <laughs> the, but real people look at that and go, "That's not my yeah. life. I, yeah. I can never attain to that." Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we we argue about you know a money issue or we we get in disagreements over the kids and mm-hmm. sometimes what you're gonna eat for supper? We're eating for supper, <laughs> you know, and. You know, we, we don't always get the house clean like we want to. Right. And, you know, sometimes our kids, you know, they just do crazy things and we feel like failures as a parent. Mm-hmm. How, how in the world am I supposed to live as a Christian uh, couple, mm-hmm. a Christian parent, if that's the standard? Right. Well, is the standard high based on what God has set? Yes, but we start with the position of humility before Christ and say, listen, he's going to just have to walk with us and guide us through this because we're not going to be perfect Mm -hmm. in this world. Right. And so what, what we heard growing up was don't have sex because you could get an STD, someone could get pregnant, you have your heart broken and you're sitting against God. Right. Which sitting against God is certain. Yeah. Heart, being having a heart broken is probably likely. You could get an STD and you could get someone pregnant. Like that, those were realities. Yeah. But I was never told. I don't remember ever being told, "Don't have sex because God has a better plan for you, oh, and He no. wants you to be holy." <laughs> and if you wait, was, if you wait, the so the whole love, uh, true love, waits thing was in concept an idea, but the yeah. way it was expressed was distorting human sexuality well, and, and reality of marriage. Sex became shameful. Yes. Always. Yes. Exactly. And is there shame with all sin? Yes. But to make a, an act that does have a proper context shameful yeah. is to basically call what God has made 
bad. Yeah, it's a, it's abusing a good thing. Sex yeah. is a good thing created by God. Yes. Just because to be we enjoyed. pervert it, we pervert it. Does it make evil. sex right. innately evil? And you know, Gully makes this argument in, in his chapter about how this is this has progressed since the, the 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 scene in the garden when Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. Mm-hmm. They sin, and all of a sudden, this shame has been attached to nudity, and he he, he associates the shame of of sexuality with with the the shame that was placed on nudity. It was a shameful thing, therefore sex is shameful. Well, no, you're missing the point. Adam and Eve were ashamed in the garden because they recognized their sin against God. Yeah. And their nudity was the image of, of, of how they were seen by God, which is completely exposed. Because you remember, they went into the garden to hide themselves and cover themselves with leaves, right? Because that was the best they could do to cover the shame that they felt inside themselves for sinning against God, which, by the way, they didn't commit a sexual sin. They ate of the tree. They ate of fruit. Right. <laughs> so their shame was not because they were naked. Their shame was because they were naked before God. Oh, God. Yeah, it wasn't so much about Adam and Eve looking at each other and going, my goodness, how embarrassing. Right. They knew God is a, is going to show up exactly. because he walks in this garden with us. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do when he comes near? Yeah, he... he Hide, yes. cover up. Hide, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so when it comes to sex in the in people in the church, we hide it. We pretend like it's not there. We don't talk about it because we don't want people to be uncomfortable. We don't want young people to think that it's okay. Like there's all these these anxieties right. we have, and we haven't, in some ways, we haven't dealt with it very well. And even on the flip side, like you go back, I don't know, about 10 years ago uh, or a little bit more, when it was trendy to have like the the sex challenge oh, or the sure. or the big sex series mm-hmm. sermon series mm-hmm. on Sunday morning and oh we're gonna send all the boys and girls off to somewhere else mm-hmm. and it's gonna be just adults and you know for the next four to six weeks we're just gonna get up here and we're just gonna talk all about sex and we're gonna be as graphic and gritty and it's just gonna, literally a pastor yeah, it, a pastor preached a series from the roof of his church in his bed with his wife now they were dressed. Yeah. But he preached. He preached from his bed. Literally, a bed was set up on the roof of his church in Dallas, and they preached from there for four weeks on sex. Yeah, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it was it was a gross overcorrection exactly. of yes. what had happened yes. in the eighties and early nineties, and that's the wrong way to approach it too. Exactly. I mean, I can remember young couples all of a sudden feeling pressure because. You know, this pastor had said, well, if you're not having sex with your wife, you know, five times a week, you're, you're not really loving. Sure. And they're just like, oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Yeah. And so now you've got two people that feel pressure to do mm-hmm. something that they were already doing. Yeah. But to do it more to reach a certain quota. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Because a pastor said that's somehow the magic number. Right. Or in the world does he get that? That's a true expression of love, which, again, right. is a distortion of yeah. love. And so Gully takes it on one hand to go, just do whatever you want as long as you love each other. We have pastors telling people, if you don't do it this many times or if you're not expressing your love in these ways to your yeah. spouse, well, then you're not really loving each other. I mean, come on. Like, let's find a better middle ground here where Jesus actually— we just go back to the Bible. Yeah, let's go back to the Bible and try to understand this in, in the right ways. And so the, the dichotomy that's presented here by Gully about— Either we can continue in this way of judgmentalism and making people feel ashamed for their sexual choices, or we can just love them. What does that mean then? But what does that mean for me as a Christian pastor who reads the Bible and knows that there are certain expressions of sexuality which are sinful against God? Do I ignore them and pretend like they're not sinful and ignore what I read in the Bible, which is what Gully has done essentially? Or do I confront them in a way that's loving but based on 
truth. Like this is a difficult road to navigate because as you said earlier, these ways of thinking are now so ingrained in the cultural understanding that when you talk to someone about homosexuality being a sin, they're like, wait, what? Where did that, where did that come from? Yeah. Well, you're, you're lost in, in the ancient times. Yeah, your, your draconian yeah, yeah. views on people and sex. Right. Like, who are you to tell a young man or a young woman that they can't change their sexual identity whenever they want to? You know. And again, Gully doesn't address that in the book because those weren't quite issues mm-hmm. yet in the culture when he wrote this. But I wonder what he would say. Let a person be whatever they choose to be. Does that go against God's good well, design? Well, because that gets into, like, if love is the ultimate moral trump card, happiness is right. pretty close exactly. second or third. Yeah. So as long as a person knows that you love them, yeah. that's all that really matters. So would our churches be healthier if we ignored sexual sin along with other sins? We just ignored right. sin and just welcomed people and pretended like there was nothing that we were doing to transgress against God. That's really the issue here. At the root of all of this, we are sinners against God. And God hands us over to our desires sometimes to let us have the fruit or the consequences of them. So the sexual brokenness in our society is our fault. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. He didn't. He isn't a bully that made up a bunch of impossible rules. The rules were pretty clear and they're yeah, not hard it's, to follow. It's, it's not like God created man and woman, said, there's this thing called sex, go and enjoy and then decided, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> Look, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I like the fact that uh, it's being done this way. Right. Okay, new rule. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's, like, it's like the person that's making up a game. Yes. You know, and yes. they're, they're they're losing. A right, new rule. Mm-hmm. Okay, not a new rule. They move the goalposts. Move right. Bound, new out rule. of bounds lines. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. not what God does. He doesn't throughout history add new rules right. to human sexuality, marriage, the mm-hmm. concept of love, and things like that. They're they're established. And the thing is, they're established right in the early chapters of Genesis. Hey, right there. That's yeah. why Jesus goes back and quotes yes. those verses. Genesis 2, yeah. He, yeah. he doesn't say, well, you know, I've actually got some, some some fresh ideas on this. Yeah, exactly. He just goes right back to the very beginning. Because he wrote Genesis 2. Yeah, he wrote Genesis 2. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so so what's your thoughts then on, I think it's something we could probably get into for a while and we're running short on time, but um, this idea that, the arguments made, well, we can't talk about sex so much because there's all these other sins that that, 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 that we've ignored. We don't talk about greed. We don't talk about uh, hating your brother. We don't we don't address those things. We only hammer on on the sexual sin of people. We make them feel bad. We make them feel alienated because of their choices. And they leave the church and they never come back. Why don't we make a bigger deal about all these other sins? And, and to that, I, w- I would say, well, in some cases, you may be right. Maybe we haven't dealt with divorce like we should have. And greed, like we should have. Americans can be greedy and and sort of sanctify it as being, you know, wealthy or use other words to describe what it actually just amounts to greed. Mm-hmm. That that is true. But I don't believe we we ignore one for the sake of the other. We have to trust all of them according to the scriptures faithfully. So you have a quote in here that all sin is sin except sexual sin or sexual deviance, because that's that's kind of the the pendulum swing now. Is, right. All these other things are wicked and evil, but sex, let's leave that alone because that's yeah. that's that's something that's kind of off limits for the church. Right. This is the, this idea that you can pretty much do whatever you want to do within certain parameters. So, so long as you have love. So long as you have love. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you murder someone, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. That's awful. Shame on you. But if you want to uh, have sex outside of marriage, mm-hmm. if you want to commit adultery, you leave your spouse for, mm-hmm. for another uh, man or a woman— uh, enter into these other types of relationships. Well, what's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, well, take your pick. Yeah. Okay, if we're going to have sin, 
then let's just have sin. Mm-hmm. On what basis was murder wrong? Right. Why is there no basis for sex? Right. Why does that get carte blanche yeah. when when it comes to this the, this idea of what's right and wrong? When it comes to talking about that sin with other sins, yes, we need to be even-handed. Yeah. But two two things, we are called to address certain things that arise within our culture. Yes. Okay. Is greed always there? Just take greed. Is greed always there? Sure it is. But sometimes there are fresh manifestations of greed. Mm -hmm. And when those come up, I believe the church needs to step up and address those. Yes. We hear a lot about sex today. Why? Because of what's happening in our society. Now, do some people harp way too much on it? Yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They, they they really need to pass, find some balance. Well, how do you find that balance without neglecting everything else? Well, one thing that I would suggest, and I'm sure you would agree with, mm-hmm. was preach the Bible expositionally. Yes. Don't preach topically. Yes. If you're going to always depend on topics, you're going to gravitate towards hot-button issues. Amen. Just pick up the Bible. Yes. Begin preaching uh, from the beginning of a book. And preach through it. Yes. If you do that, you're going to cover all of it. All of it. God invented it's, it's creative all sex. There. You're going to deal with sex at some point yeah. in the scriptures. So and you're going to deal with greed. Yes. And you're going to deal with gluttony. Yes. And you're going to deal with the other things that people say, well, you neglect. Mm-hmm. And you will deal with it from the text. Yes. Now, again, if something happens in the culture, it's got everyone's attention. Mm-hmm. Is it okay, okay to kind of break off from sure. that and address it? Sure. Why? Because it's people are consumed with mm-hmm. it. They are looking for an answer. What's the church's response going to be? And topical give messages us, can still be expositional. Right? They can, yes. Right. But the, the the general pattern is just preach through the text, through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just go through it, and you're going to address everything people are dealing with in some way, shape, or form, right? And and so it's it's not about making this a a, a primary subject. And just yeah. harping on this one sin because you see it so rampant in our culture. Right. I heard a great quote one time. Um, someone said, you may have a friend or a family member that's that's involved in homosexuality, and you see that as a sin. Chances are that's not the worst thing they're involved in. That, that, that That's not the worst sin they're committing. There may be something even deeper in their hearts than that that's led them to that point. And you know what? It's true. Mm-hmm. We deal with the human heart as it is. Whatever's in front of us, we deal with that according to the Bible. And so the Word of God has something to say about sexual sin and about marriage as yeah. well, and about love and what love is. But if we take, if we adopt this cultural mindset, and there's a man in my church who dearly loves his wife, but decides one day that he also dearly loves his secretary, is that a problem for us as a church? And he says, I should have the same kind of relationship with my secretary that I have with my wife. And no one can be upset with me about this because I love them both. Do I have anything to say to that? Or can I just say, you know what, brother? As long as you love them, it's all good. Of course not. The Bible is clear. You made a commitment. There's one woman, and that's it. It's your wife. There are no other women in your life. There can't be. There won't ever be unless your wife passes away. Or, you know, once you're gone... Nothing to worry about anymore, right? And, and and so we have something to say about that. I don't know what Gully would say to that. But if you take the definitions that he's operating on about love, it would be hard for us to argue with the man who loves his secretary and her sister and his wife. Because he's free to love whoever he wants as much as he wants. Who am I to say? And so you begin to see the corruption 
of this idea of love that's taken from a cultural understanding. It has no bounds. You can define it however you want. Right. And that's where the breakdown comes. Yeah. So are we overbearing sometimes when it comes to sexual issues and marriage? We, 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 we can be, certainly. But the answer is not to throw marriage away and just say, let's just love everyone. That has, that has, no, has, it has no pattern or form that's healthy for a society. The healthiest societies are the societies that held the family and marriage in particular and children and the church family in high regard and kept it holy. That's where society flourishes and grows. Because it's done according to God's design exactly. and God's design works yes. best. Yes, always, as always. There's never been an institution, a country, a nation, a civilization that sought to rebel against God and do things their way that survived or was ever really effective. And we're, we're seeing that right now in our own country. With the, the laws and cultural understandings that at one time were based upon biblical principles are no longer are, and we're seeing a major shift in that, and we're seeing the breakdown of of homes, cultures, of just individuals, because it's not being done God's way. This is only a symptom. Sexual sin is a symptom of a much deeper issue in the hearts of mankind, but it's one that's been sort of exalted as an untouchable issue yeah. in a person's life. We can't ever address that, leave people alone on that. Stay out of the bedroom, right? Is the, is the kind of their the the cultural mentality, and uh, I have to say, well, God's very interested in the bedroom. He's, he's he's interested in the living room and the kitchen and the garage. He wants all of it. And if we don't do it His way, there's going to be some really really terrible things come our way. And so, as churches, we have to be willing to address these things as they come up, as is faithful to the scriptures, and is loving, which is the most loving thing that we can do is help people see what God's best way is and how human ways and human understanding of these things are so destructive and devastating to our lives. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes and give us a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to Footnotable. You can keep up with Footnotable on social media through the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts of First Baptist Church Baton Rouge. You can find all three at username FBCBR or on our website at FBCBR.com. If you want to connect with Orrin and myself on social media, our individual information is listed in the show notes. Know that our prayers are with you. Stay healthy and we'll talk to you again next week.